0: He has spoken on the topics faith, family, and freedom in Cuba, Belgium, Brazil, Congo, UK, and all over the USA to crowds from 14 to 40,000. Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. One of my greatest moments of um, learning happened on the sidewalk in front of a Starbucks in Cedar Hill, Texas. I'm going to tell you about that in a moment, but here's what I want you to understand. Until there's a conversation that takes place, a lot of the poking and prodding of this side versus that side, the Tutsis and the Hutus, it doesn't stop until a conversation takes place. But a conversation is the beginning of transformation, not the end. A conversation also requires more than one person coming to the table. Leaders know this. Leaders know that in order for teams to work well together, for individuals to work well together, for society, for culture, for nations to work well together, people have to come to the table. That's why we have the United Nations. Although I don't always agree with the way that they come to their conclusions or the results that they get, the idea that many nations need to come together and their leaders need to sit down face to face and have an honest conversation, that is a principle I stand behind. I'm going to share a little bit today with you from john maxwell's book change your world and i'm going to tell you the story of how a conversation in front of starbucks was one of my greatest moments of education and built a lasting relationship as well on leading leaders our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith family and freedom i'm jay lauren norris with leading leaders podcast and i remember the day that i was been in starbucks for probably I don't know, an hour or so. That's what I would do when I worked in this particular job. I didn't have to be at work till 9 o'clock in the morning, and I always get up around 5.15. So I would do my podcast and do the, the work of the podcast, and then I would go to Starbucks and do my reading and studying, and then I would go to work. And this particular morning, i have been sitting there doing my studies, and it was time for me to pack up and go. As I put my helmet on and started out the door, uh, I saw a guy sitting on the sidewalk that it, on the little cafe table outside, And uh, he was a guy that I knew from the John Maxwell team, a guy that I had spent some time with. We'd done some training together uh, for other people where he and I were a a tag team. I'd done video for some of his presentations at the local university. And as I walked by, he's like, hey, don't pretend like you don't know me. And I looked over and I saw him I'm like, oh, I didn't I didn't see you sitting there. I guess you were hiding behind the column. He goes, well, give me a call later. And I said, why would I give you a call? You never return my phone calls. We both laughed. Because we have that kind of jabbing relationship with each other But the guy sitting at the table with him Did not laugh In fact, he almost came out of his chair He looked at his friend Our mutual friend And he said, big N-word You're not going to let him talk to you like that, are you? That white boy, that Trump supporter That Harley Ryden MF and Just starts tearing me down I've never met the man I don't know anything about him I know absolutely nothing about him. And so when he finishes his tirade, I took my helmet off. I walked back over to the table, stuck my hand out, shook his hand, and introduced myself, which completely blew him away. Now, this guy's a big guy. His name is Big O. And when I say big guy, I mean NFL football players might think twice about jumping on. He's a big, big guy. And I sat down at the table with permission, and I said, What makes you think all those things that you just said about me? And he listed off the assumptions that led him to believe that I was the kind of person that he was describing, having never met me. After about 45 minutes of conversation, he looked at me and he said, look, if you ever decide to open a church, I'm coming. I said, well, I'm not a pastor. That's not what I do, but I appreciate that. Uh, honor that you would come and listen to what I have to say. He said, you've said more here at this table today than any white man I've ever known in 45 minutes. Why? Because I was willing to come to the table, even though his effort, his intention was to intimidate me to run off. He wanted to see me back down, back up, give up and walk away. I don't think change comes when you do that. I don't think transformation happens when people are so terrified of each other they can't have a conversation. I also don't believe that people who value one another as human beings hold that kind of opinion of each other. I spent the time that morning late for work knowing that the people that I worked for would have not only been okay with me being late for that reason would have applauded that reason, but given the opportunity would have sat down at the table with me as well and had the same conversation because that's the kind of people they are. Because that's the kind of people I work with and that's the kind of people I work for. Now there are those who want to judge me based on certain associations or affiliations. They, they would look at some of my client base and go, really? Why do you, why do you serve them? And it's because I do believe that if we get everybody to the table, we can have a great conversation, and if we can get everybody to the table, some of the issues that we deal with based on purely assumptions could be crushed and destroyed, and problems that we deal with in our society, in our culture at large, in our national politic, could be alleviated with a conversation. The problem is, so many egos at play, number one, prevent those conversations. Number two, there are those people who not only by their ego, but by their strategy have determined that this division is profitable. It's productive in their means of accomplishing the ends that they have, and it's profitable. They have found a way to make money off of it. And the more money they can make off of it, the more they're going to promote division. The more money they can make off of it, whether it's ad sales or book sales, the more they're going to promote the idea that you two can't even sit down and have a conversation. Let me tell you how bad they are, and let me tell you how bad they are. And and if you just knew how bad they are, I'm the only solution they have. That's the kind of nonsense that makes division, whether it's racial division, religious division, political division, that's the kind of nonsense that makes division profitable. They figured out how to sell books, how to sell their own ideas, how to sell themselves onto television shows, they made themselves into celebrities. Because they're willing to divide people and by dividing people they found their own niche. They made their own way in the marketplace. I hope that that kind of silliness that kind of profiteering on the defeat and destruction of human beings will come to an end. I believe it will come to an end only when people become more observant to the fact that they're being played. Nobody likes to be played. Nobody likes that one person who's constantly stirring the pot to create friction between other people. Nobody likes them. They only get away with it because they've convinced everybody else. They're not the problem. They're just the observer. They didn't start it. They're just aware of it. They just wanted you to know because they thought, well, you know, you should know that other people are talking bad about you when I'm the only one talking about you, but I'm going to point to somebody else and claim they did it. Go back and study the Tutsis and the Hutus, 1990s Rwanda. Yeah, it's been long enough now that many of our college kids have completely forgotten out about it, but the same kind of nonsense that's happening in our national media today was happening then. It led to the deaths of 2 million people, women and children being dragged from their homes and raped. Eventually, the same people who started the nonsense with the radio stations also dumped helicopter loads of machetes on the street so that once they riled people up into a lather and the anger was so seething that now they had the weapons because they'd already been told they can't have guns, but now they had the weapons to destroy each other. And there were people literally hacked to death on the side of the road in Rwanda. Go look it up. The videos are all over YouTube still. People hacked to death on the side of the road because they were one tribe or the other. Their skin all looked the same. Their languages were the same. But they were convinced that this group is more privileged than that group. And because of that, there's got to be a division between them. And who profits in that? Who wins in that? Well, the instigator does. Only the instigator That's a sad reality. What's the cure? The cure is conversations. I know that sounds simplistic, but when you can get people to the table to have a conversation, you can completely change the way that they look at each other. It's something about sitting down over a cup of coffee or a biscuits and gravy with somebody and spending time getting to know who they are as a human being, know what they think, what they care about, what they feel, who they trust, who they're afraid of, what they're afraid of. And suddenly you realize. A lot of your fears are common. A lot of your anxieties are the same. A lot of your ambitions and your joys and the things that make you celebrate, they're the same. We're not that different. The problem is that somebody profits from declaring how different we are. Now, trust me, I've been to Brazil and Cuba and Honduras and the Congo. I've been across Europe more than once. I spent a couple of years in England and a couple of uh, six months in Honduras. I've had chances to meet people that you don't meet on the average day. I've had chances to sit down and have long conversations with people of different cultures and different societies and the way they look at the world. And humans, by and large, are the same. Different value systems in some places, different cultures in some places, different religions, different government structures, but the anxieties that humans share, they're common. The joys that we share over our kids and the passion we have for their education, the desire that we have for our children to have a better life than we had, for our grandchildren to have a better life than our children had, that is universal. That's a universal human passion, and I don't care what country or culture you come from, that's a fact. Take the time to do the study and you'll realize it. Now the question is, why can't we all come together to support that notion and celebrate those joyous occasions together and cope with those anxieties, those fears, and those pains together? Let me say it again. The reason is because there are people who have figured out how to profit from division, I want to share just this little passage, and I have to read more than a paragraph to share this with you. But it, it I think, it's well worth it. This is straight out of Change Your World by John C. Maxwell. Uh, heading number six: Transformation tables help produce. Help, excuse me, help people do life better together. Learning good values using transformation tables helps people to live better lives. When this happens, the possibility of alleviating poverty disease, hunger, illiteracy, and other problems within communities increase. Why? Because helping people develop core values that make them happier, healthier, more productive, more content people empowers them to create their own future. They improve their own families and improve their own communities, and that is great. Anytime people get together, whether it's When they form a new transformation table, move to a new neighborhood, accept a new job, or join a new team, they're internally asking three questions about the people in their lives. I want you to paste these questions on your mirror. I want you to ask them of yourself every day. And then I want you to begin to ask them of yourself as it pertains to the people around you. If you're a genuine leader, you should have a good answer for these three questions. And if you're not a genuine leader get busy answering these three questions as it pertains to the people that you lead and the people that you serve. Do you care for me? Can you help me? Can I trust you? Do you care for me? Can you help me? Can I trust you? Now, for decades upon decades, the American military, the American government has sent billions of dollars around the world to provide food, to provide shelter, provide clothing, to provide military aid to countries all over the globe. And for the same amount of time, there have been people on the receiving end of that who have no desire to care, no desire to help, and are not trustworthy. They become recipients of this inbound money or food or pallets of cash. And they use it for nefarious means. They use it because they're corrupt. And they only want that division, that hostility, that problem to continue. And there's no profit from that, from the people who need the help the most. The profit goes in the pockets of the politicians who are stirring up the trouble in the first place. The warmongers who are stirring up the trouble in the first place. The warlords, the drug lords, the kingpins, the kingmakers. The people who are causing the problem are the ones intercepting the help. That's a bigger problem. But when we can get people to the table to have a conversation, to sit down and genuinely talk about what is a right solution that leaves everybody feeling human and protected and provided for, those kind of conversations around the table often push the warlords out to the side because they realize we can have a conversation. We don't need them as a moderator stirring the pot, creating more friction. Now, there are places where the best solution is live and let live. We don't agree. We're not going to come to the table and have the same terms, and our core values are even different. That doesn't mean we can't respect one another and have an honest conversation. It might mean that we walk away from the table saying, well, I don't believe what you believe. I don't agree with what you are passionate about, but I respect it, and I can see how you would be passionate about that, and if you will remain passionate about what you're passionate about and yet peaceful, then we will do the same. We remain passionate about what we're passionate about and peaceful, and suddenly things begin to change, but if you're not willing to step up to Big O when Big O wants to intimidate you, When Big O wanted to come between myself and my friend and create friction, playing on the race card, playing on the assumptions card, if you're not willing to step into that arena and say, hang on, there might be some misconceptions here, let me apologize for those misconceptions up front, but let me also help to alleviate them. If you're not willing to do that, then you're going to be one of those people standing on the sidelines and stirring the pot, creating more friction rather than creating opportunities for a solution don't be a part of the problem. If you're a leader, be a part of the solution. Get people at the table. Find and make friends who are completely different than you. They look differently, they think differently, they worship differently, they live differently, and spend time getting to know them. Get to know the humanity of who they are. The more time you'll spend doing that, the more successful you'll be as a leader, the more you'll recognize the difference in people. As you do that, you'll find that you have a lot more value to the people you lead because you care about them, you have ways to help them, and they can trust you. And that will make all the difference in the world in your leadership, and that will make all the difference in the world that we need. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day.